So are you going to tell me a case? Yes, I'm going to tell you a case. Okay. You're not going to let me look at it or anything? No, so. you, don't, you don't get any notes. Okay, got it. It's all surprise. Awesome. Jim Siegler here for Brainwaves in Philadelphia. Each Thursday, a new show on various topics in neurology or medicine intended for students, residents, or other healthcare professionals. This week on the show, a new clinical case, something that we encounter every day in the outpatient clinic, but with a little twist. So to help me through the case, I'm joined by Dr. Mike Rubenstein of Philadelphia. Welcome back to the show, Mike. I'm glad to be here. So to get to the case, the patient that we're talking about today is a 47-year-old woman with a history of infrequent headaches, but for the last three months, she's had persistent headache. It's excruciating. There's a pressure-type pain just over her right eye, which is usually where she gets her headaches, without any associated visual disturbances, no nausea, no vomiting. She does notice that it causes her to tear up, and sometimes her eyelid becomes droopy. The headache comes on suddenly without any obvious trigger, and it usually resolves after 10 or 15 minutes. But she gets them several times a day now. Lately, they've been coming on every day or every other day in waves of 3 to 5 at a time, for which she's scheduled an appointment in your neurology clinic. She's tried Tylenol and ibuprofen without much relief. Her PCP gave her a prescription for Furoset, which helped her initially, but now it seems to barely touch the pain, and she's taking it practically every day at the onset of symptoms. So, break this headache down for us, Mike. What kind of headache does it sound like, and what is the next bit of information that you'd like to know? Well, I don't want to give, I don't want to say what I think it is immediately, so I'll give you how I would break it down. So she's 47 years old, so you would want to first know what her headache history is. So has she had headaches for her whole life? Um, is this somebody that's uh, a migraineur who's basically having a change in her migraines at the age of 47? It sounds like she's had some headaches before, but she probably wasn't a migraine sufferer. And so she's got these new kind of continuous headaches that she's had for three months. She's got clear autonomic features that occur with the headache. So you immediately kind of think of the autonomic trigeminal cephalgias and the class of those headaches. And um, those patients... So one of the trigeminal autonomic cephalgias. This includes paroxysmal hemicrania, cluster headache, and sunct or the Suna syndrome. Sunct meaning short-lasting unilateral neuralgiform headache attacks with conjunctival injection and tearing, and SUNA meaning short-lasting unilateral neuralgiform headache attacks with cranial autonomic features. These headaches are characterized by mostly unilateral symptoms, brief duration with autonomic involvement, tearing, and possible oculosympathetic disturbance. But could our patient be having another type of headache? She's kind of the wrong demographic to have cluster, which is much more prevalent in males. And the, the nature of her headaches, that they're occurring in waves of five, and the length of time, you know, you're kind of split between cluster, and she would just be a little bit atypical, or paroxysmal hemicrania. So to kind of give you a little bit more of the history that you were asking for, basically she's been having similar types of headaches before, and they would come on in weeks or so, and they would go away for a period of months. And then return after a year or so again, and then again, a couple of weeks of the same type of headache. But now it's been going on consistently for three months, and nothing that she's used to trying is helping her out. So does that kind of change your differential, knowing that they're similar, but just more constant? It doesn't change my differential. I'd say that it sounds like it could be somebody who's a an episodic cluster headache that now is converted into more of a chronic uh, cluster headache. 
you know, if you have pain-free periods of, you know, six months or a year, and then have these kind of clusters, which is why they're called cluster headaches, but then now she's having three months worth and it hasn't broken yet, she could be somebody that's converting into more of a chronic cluster headache. A chronic cluster headache is a variant of your episodic cluster headache in which the attacks occur at least once every other day, but could be several times a day, as in our patient, and this persists for over one year. Patients with chronic cluster headache can still be classified as having chronic cluster headache if they have remission lasting less than one month, according to the International Headache Classification Disorders. For our patient, it is unclear if she meets these criteria yet, or like Mike said, she is evolving into a chronic cluster headache. But this is just a matter of semantics. Technically, having three or more months of headache that occurs 15 or more days a month qualifies the patient for a diagnosis of chronic daily headache, another relatively nonspecific diagnosis. But these headaches don't have to occur every day to be chronic daily headaches. They just have to take place half the days per month. And when you see patients who meet this diagnosis, it should make you wonder what the primary inciting factor or factors are for the persistent headache. Over 90% of chronic daily headaches began out of a primary headache disorder. For our patient with associated autonomic symptoms, it seems to be driven by a potential underlying autonomic trigeminal cephalgia. But is her headache being aggravated by something else? So what medications is she taking would be a big question. So she's been taking Tylenol and ibuprofen kind of around the clock for the last three months uh, without any relief. And then she recently started Fioraset by her primary care doctor. So the the two things that you look at are if you think somebody has the potential of having medication rebound or medication overuse headache, I should say, those are chronic daily headache that's caused by uh, the use of short-acting analgesics, uh, short-acting opiates, triptans on a continuous basis or at least every other day for a long period of time, you'll develop medication overuse. If her headaches are all the same, though, that she's having, you know, multiple attacks in a day, the paroxysmal nature of the headache is not consistent with a medication overuse headache or from frequent analgesic use. So those headaches... Medication overuse headache, as we reviewed way back in episode 12, is more commonly seen in migraine sufferers or patients with tension-type headaches who unfortunately get caught up in a cycle of trying to take medications to break their frequent headaches. And even taking something like Tylenol more than three days a week is enough to throw you into a downward spiral. Typically, headaches caused by medication overuse are nonspecific and don't involve any autonomic symptoms, but they can seem like somewhat milder migraines. Even the daily headaches could have some photophobia or phonophobia, could have some nausea. They could have some features of their normal migraines, but they're actually not a migraine headache. It's a migrainous headache. The headaches and medication overuse headache are almost continuous, lasting all day, occasionally relieved by more NSAIDs, don't interrupt their sleep but can wake them from sleep, and often the prior headache can be superimposed on top of it. So a migraine or a cluster headache can interrupt this chronic head pain. One thing worth addressing is the fact that this woman had this history of headaches and as she's getting older, this headache has changed in a little bit of a way. It hasn't changed in the quality or the characteristics of the headache, but it has at least changed in the frequency. Can you comment on the way that headaches can change as you get older and what that might make you think of? Well, you know, especially migraines. Migraines change. Uh, They can change based on hormonal features, especially if she's 
47 years old, and if she's approaching menopause, she could have um, a change in her migraine headaches. I think we all think, though, that when we see an older patient who has a new headache, a change in headache, you know, we think about red flags with headaches that would want to make us image a patient. If she had had exactly the same headaches previously that were now occurring more frequently, I'm not sure that I would be tremendously worried about it. If these headaches were very different than headaches that she had before, I would possibly consider imaging her to make sure she didn't have something else like a mass lesion or some other cause of her headaches. Red flags to be on the lookout for include new headaches that wake you from sleep, a sudden onset worst headache of life, headache with a new focal neurological deficit, headache with positional changes either standing up or lying down, new nausea and vomiting, or even any deviation in the characteristic of a prior headache. So if the headaches always felt like pressure over the neck, and now it's a headache that localizes over the left eye and won't go away, that might be enough to buy the patient an MRI in the appropriate circumstance. I'd like to say that, yes, when we do a fundoscopic examination, if we see somebody looks like they possibly have papilledema, you know, we're going to image the patient to look for more characteristics of intracranial hypertension. But in this case, she had none of those findings. But she had some autonomic symptoms, which raised Mike's suspicion for a trigeminal autonomic cephalgia. Can you comment on the other types of autonomic features that you typically see in patients who have these types of headaches? So the autonomic features that you typically see are you can see patients that have uh, rhinorrhea that can be on the side of the of the headache often. Um, you can have the tearing that you mentioned. You can have conjunctival injection, redness of the eye, ptosis that occurs, a Horner syndrome. You can have pupillary changes that occur. So those would be the typical autonomic features that we would consider asking about or at least when we're looking at a patient. And patients who have other types of headache syndromes like tension-type headaches or headaches that are secondary in the setting of neuromuscular disease or cervical stenosis or arthritic disease, they tend to have nonspecific features of headaches or the headaches can fluctuate from side to side. The fact that this patient's headache is strictly unilateral and strictly on one side right over the right orbit, how does that affect your differential diagnosis? Um, it doesn't affect it tremendously. The autonomic trigeminal cephalgias can switch sides. You know, there's a certain percentage that remain unilateral. There's some that switch sides. Um, I looked this up after the show. About 85 to 97 percent of patients with paroxysmal hemicranias have strictly unilateral syndromes. You know, when somebody has a strictly unilateral headache, it might, if you're already thinking in the area of, do I want to image this patient, it might make you a little bit more, but when they have autonomic features like that, it's pretty distinguishing. Can you tell me if you would consider imaging this patient? I would feel pretty comfortable not imaging her. I would approach somebody who I think has an autonomic trigeminal cephalgia very differently than I would approach a patient who I thought had a history of migraine and now had chronic daily headache. So this patient, I would make a stab at what the diagnosis is. So I would, in this patient, I would say, okay, if I think your diagnosis is cluster headache, then I'm going to put you on a prophylactic medication that works for cluster headache. I'm going to give you medications and therapies, I should say, that we use for acute attacks. If they're at the correct In cluster headache, that means supplemental oxygen usually in the form of a 100% non-rare breather with a flow rate of 7 liters per minute. This is probably the only therapy we have in neurology which comes with zero side effects, interestingly enough. 
60% of patients with cluster headaches respond to oxygen. Tryptans, like sumatriptan, are also effective at breaking an attack of cluster headaches in 75% of patients. But for someone like this, who may be likely to abuse an oral agent, you might avoid prescribing it for now. Other potential therapies for cluster involve the intranasal injection of lidocaine and the subcutaneous injection of 100 micrograms of octreotide. More importantly, patients often benefit from preventative therapies like verapamil and topiramate. And you can use steroids, so if you think somebody has cluster headache or if they have one of the other ones, you can still give them steroids to kind of break that cycle and get them onto a prophylactic medication. So I would decide whether I think this patient has cluster or whether this patient has paroxysmal hemicrania because the treatment's going to be very different. So for the sake of this case, let's pretend that the patient has a history of paroxysmal hemicrania that's evolved into a hemicrania continua. Current experts still don't have a perfect understanding of the pathophysiology that underlies hemicrania continua, or HC. But there are two features everyone agrees on. Strictly unilateral headache symptoms and responsiveness to indomethacin. The patient should have the head pain on only one side, although 3-15% to of patients may report alternating sides in paroxysmal hemicranias. And when it does switch sides like that, you should think of migraine, cluster, or tension-type headaches as well. The episodic version of HC is paroxysmal hemicrania, and these symptoms typically last from 2 to 30 minutes. Most are about 15 minutes, as in our patients. And they will recur several times throughout the day. During acute attacks, patients often report feeling restless, 80% in some studies. The ICHD3 criteria also require at least one autonomic symptom, although this doesn't have to be present in every headache attack. Lacrimation is the most common reported symptom, but conjunctival injection, rhinorrhea, facial flushing, ptosis, and unilateral facial sweating can occur. In contrast, features not seen in HC would be things like a known aura, clear triggers, or associated vomiting. They are not more frequent at night, nor should they necessarily wake a person from sleep, as you see in cluster headaches and intracranial pathology. So again, our patient likely has paroxysmal hemicrania that evolved into hemicrania continua. So those two diagnoses are the indomethacin-sensitive headaches, and it's virtually a diagnostic criteria that the patient has to respond to indomethacin for them to have one of those two headache types. You give them a trial of indomethacin, which is 25 milligrams TID for a week, then 50 milligrams TID for a week, and then 75 milligrams TID for a week until it either works or it doesn't work. What do you mean if it doesn't work? So if they, if they respond to 25 TID, then you leave them at that. If you have to keep going up, but you keep going up until you hit 75 TID. And if they don't respond at 75 TID, then you go back to the drawing board and, and you don't just try something else. You want to kind of say, okay, maybe they don't have hemicrania continua or paroxysmal hemicrania. You know, you want to rethink things. What are some of the other kind of commonsensical things that you tell patients who have a history of headaches about just normal lifestyle and dietary modifications to maintain a headache-free life? So most of those are in the migraine realm, and you, know, you want to have good sleep hygiene. Good sleep hygiene really relates to the same amount of sleep every night. It doesn't relate to getting too much or too little sleep necessarily. So 
people should have six hours of sleep a night, seven hours of sleep a night, eight hours of sleep, whatever it is, they should go to sleep and get up at the same time every day, even on the weekends. We try to limit caffeine. You know, even though we use caffeine for acute headaches, caffeine dependency and withdrawal can cause headaches. And so we tend to try to keep people from using too much caffeine. Patients with migraine can clearly have issues with alcohol. Cluster headaches really have issues with alcohol. So cluster headache patients, if they drink alcohol, that's a, usually a definite trigger for cluster headaches. We try to decrease stress. We try to increase activity. And those are the main things. The supplemental Then there are also some vitamins and supplements, which some people benefit from. Butterbur has the highest level of evidence supporting its use and is recommended by the American Academy of Neurology. Level A evidence. Feverfew, magnesium, and riboflavin are also useful adjuncts in the prevention of recurrent migraine, with a level of evidence B. Treatments considered possibly effective, level evidence C, include estrogen, coenzyme Q10, ciproheptadine, and methanemic acid. Okay, so you counsel this patient on normal diet and lifestyle modifications, getting good sleep hygiene, trying to avoid any medications or triggers of her headaches. You know, you consider starting her on endomethacin, and she starts to take it, and within a day or two, she responds immediately. Is that pretty characteristic for... Yeah, if they're at the correct dose, they'll respond almost immediately. Anytime you have essentially a diagnostic criteria be a therapy... It's very impressive. So you, yeah. you say, this is what I think you have. I want you to take this pill, 25 milligrams, three times a day. And like within a day, if that's the right dose, the patients are going to say their headache is gone. Why do you think it is that the endomethacin works, but something like aspirin or ibuprofen or, you know, naproxen doesn't work? I'm not sure I can really answer that question. <laughs> um, it is interesting. It is very interesting. So, you know, endomethacin is one of the oldest you know, it's one of the older NSAIDs, not as old as aspirin, but it's second. And it has to have some characteristic that is different than all of the other NSAIDs. Yeah, the world may never know. Well, that's the whole case. I mean, the patient was treated as if they have paroxysmal hemicrania and now developed into hemicrania continua. And the patient's symptoms resolve pretty quickly with uh, endomethacin. And she was told to just come back or to call for a new prescription whenever the headaches return. And she did okay. Yeah, and so typically you would treat that person for a period of time. So if they got complete relief at 25, three times a day, you might treat the patient for several months as long as they tolerate the medicine, and then you would try to taper the medicine to see if the headaches came back. And if the headaches didn't come back, you could keep the patient off the medication for a long period of time. Well, thanks a lot for that, Mike. That wraps it up for the case this week. As usual, I appreciate you coming onto the show and sharing your insight with us. Pleasure to be here again. I, I really enjoy this. Again, Mike Rubenstein. As usual, this show is intended for medical education purposes only, and it should in no way be used for routine clinical decision making. This week's episode was produced by me, Jim Siegler, music by the band known as Mystery Mammal, Lee Rosevere, Unheard Music Concepts, and Greg Atkinson. I'm Jim Siegler for Brainwaves in Philadelphia. Y'all take care. In cluster, in cluster headache, in cluster headache, in cluster headache. I know there was some hooting out there. <laughs>